What's up, everybody? We're back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I'm joined by at BTC Gandalf. We get into the state of Bitcoin, uh, some of the big news. We get to talk a little bit of macro interest rates being raised to 0.25 percent. Um, you know, some geopolitical issues and things like that, as well as getting into a lot of the updates in the Bitcoin space from the past week. Make sure you give him a follow at BTC Gandalf and follow me on Twitter at Green Candle IT to see everything else I got going on. All right, let's get into the show. Whoosh. What's up, everybody? We are live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. I'm here with special guest at BTC Gandalf or Bitcoin Gandalf. Um, if you've been following me for a little bit, you know he joins our Twitter spaces every Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. He's a great guest. Um, so Gandalf, how you doing? What's up, Brandon? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Of course, of course. It's a pleasure to have you, my friend. All right. Well, for those that don't know you in the audience, let's see. Um, let's introduce yourself. Who are you? And, uh, you know, I guess... Uh, I guess you've been doing this thing for for quite a long time as as Gandalf, huh? Well, um, the the Gandalf thing's just a year old, I guess. In in Bitcoin terms, that's you know ten percent of the lifetime of Bitcoin, or just just under that. Um, so, but but yeah, um, I uh, I sort of got took the orange pill back in um, around February last year. Well, I, so I went. In, I had some. I've held some Bitcoin since twenty nineteen, but. Um, I kind of went all in in November, November, December, 2020. Uh, and in that process, I also uh, sort of began to understand the difference between Bitcoin and the uh, and, and crypto. I wouldn't say the rest of crypto because I don't even consider Bitcoin as crypto. So I'll just say the difference between Bitcoin and crypto. Um, and yeah, ever since then, I've just pretty much spent my entire waking and sleeping hours thinking about Bitcoin. Um, yeah, but, awesome. but yeah, uh, but other than other than tweeting, or I guess because of my tweeted tweeting, I've ended up also uh, in the very lucky position that I work at uh, two Bitcoin companies. So I help run BTC Times, which is a Bitcoin-only news uh, publication, uh, online news publication. And I'm also a social media marketer, copywriter, general brand ambassador, wizard at Brains and Slushpool as well. Uh, and then I do my own podcast. Occasionally, I tweet. I've got a newsletter that is rolling out very slowly all the usual stuff yeah you got a lot of stuff going on that's for sure a lot of yeah. content too and uh yeah I'm, i mean he you you were kind enough to bring me on to write for btc times too so there's a lot of other great writers on there and uh the contents keep churning out so if, it, if you haven't checked it out check out btc times uh, it's just at btctimes.com isn't it btctimes.com and then we have the at btc handle on twitter which yeah, is amazing because I don't think you can even get handles that are three characters long anymore. I think the minimum is four. So, uh, yeah, there's it's yeah, there's you can't get three character um, handles anymore. So it's a pretty special handle. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, well, um, let's get into it. Uh, so you actually sent me a newsletter earlier today by uh, Crypto Hayes um, titled "Energy Cancelled." Um, why don't you go over a little bit about uh, you know? I guess, give me the 50,000 feet view of it. And uh, yeah, we'll get into it. It's a little bit about, uh, you know, the petrodollar and kind of like the overall macro environment, if I'm if I'm uh, not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, correct. I mean, so I went, I went for, um, I took my daughter 
uh, on a walk this morning with my wife. And I, it was probably about an, just over an hour walk. And I spent the end, I said to my wife, do you want me to explain to you? I just, I had just read this, um, this blog this morning. Um, and so I said to her, do you want me to explain to you what is going on, uh, you know, macroeconomically right now and, and with Russia and Ukraine and, and, um, and she's like, okay, so I spent an hour and 10 minutes, just like basically nonstop talking to her, explaining this, this blog post. Um, if you, if, if people haven't checked it out, it's called Energy Cancelled. It's by Arthur Hayes. He's one of the co-founders of BitMEX. Um, he was one of the early, uh, one of the earliest uh, Bitcoin and crypto derivative trading uh, exchanges. Um, and I think the guys that so Arthur Hayes is is sort of not in hiding, but he's been indicted on like I think breaking the Bank Secrecy Act. I think all the co-founders of BitMEX have been so. Um, I think Arthur Hayes turned himself, he negotiated some deal and turned himself in. I think he was like hiding out in Singapore um, and he like negotiated to turn, to fly to Hawaii recently or in the last like six months or a year, fly to Hawaii, turn himself in. I don't know exactly where they, where they all sit now, but I think one of the guys is in jail uh, and the rest of them are like working on plea deals and turning themselves in and then like, you know, paying fines and whatever else. So yeah, for the for people that don't know, but um, so, and I think they started the company in, in Hong Kong. So there's like there's stories floating about of like their early days when they're making boatloads of money trading and and running BitMEX and just having a lot of fun in Hong Kong. So, but yeah, it's Arthur Hayes, Crypto Hayes on Twitter, um, and all his blog posts are amazing. Uh, he he, I, I don't know if he has like a, a a set schedule of publishing, but they come out every so often, maybe like once a month, and he covers sort of what's going, like the biggest thing that's going on. And he's just very, very, a very good writer. Like the, not only like, is he a clear thinker and writer, but he he's a very good storyteller. So you get like, his blogs are very long, but you get engrossed in them. This latest blog, he's basically covering what's happening with Russia and Ukraine and the implications, the macroeconomic implications um, to the commodities markets and also to currency and fiat and world reserve currency markets and gold and, and Bitcoin. So um, the general sort of gist of it is that the US has basically began to destroy trust in the US dollar as the world reserve currency. Um, the, way, the way most economies function now is uh, everyone has a sort of safe haven asset that they save all their, especially sovereign nations that where they save their reserves. So uh, countries that have trade surpluses, which means basically they, you know, they export more goods than they import. So they have, uh, they have positive trade balances. Those countries store their excess wealth in US treasuries. That's been traditionally the, the sort of safe haven asset. And so that's meant that the US can issue pretty much like unlimited amounts of debt because there's always been this demand for dollars from countries that have trade surpluses who buy treasuries to store their wealth, right? But of course, that requires that requ that the the country that's buying the T bills, uh, you know, requires that they be able to trust the U.S. that you know they're not going to devalue the dollar, that the dollar is still going to be like a safe haven reserve asset, that the U.S. isn't going to default, that they can sell those T bills whenever they need money. Um, so what? people are starting to realize with what's happened in Russia is that if the if you piss off the US or you do something that the US does not like, they essentially control you via control of the currency and control of the T-bills. And they've essentially canceled, like I think Russia had something like $630 billion um, in foreign reserves 
in, in euros and US dollar denominated assets. And all those are now essentially canceled or, you know, blacklisted. They're not, they're not, they don't have access to those reserves anymore. Um, and that's made, yeah, it's made countries realize like if we're saving in US dollars, we're at the mercy of whatever the US wants us to do. Uh, the, the sort of the next domino in this, in this um, set is, is China. I think China has like something like three to $4 trillion of US treasuries, which they will now be thinking about like, you know, before I go and do something to piss off the US, you know, I want to take Taiwan back but I don't want to lose $4 trillion. I don't want that to cost me $4 trillion. So what are all these countries going to do now? They're all going to dump US assets, but they're basically all going to dump fiat assets that are controlled by external sources. And they're going to move to uh, holding wealth in commodities. So uh, Hayes thinks, the the case that Hayes makes is that Countries that are that have lots of natural resources, they're going to make sure that their countries are taken care of first. Uh, so they're going to be holding commodities for themselves to make sure you know they're 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 populated. They have enough you know coal for the population, gas for the population, oil for the population, wheat, uh, nickel, copper, whatever. All these commodities, like any country that produces them, they're going to make sure that they can hold on to a certain amount of them. And then maybe sell the rest off to the rest of the world. And they're going to be they're going to be picking very carefully who they sell to. Um, and then um, uh, Hayes makes the case that uh, sovereigns are going to move to holding gold again as like uh, their uh, as the, their sovereign wealth reserves. Uh, and that the individual, because gold is so cumbersome to to physically take custody of, the individual's version of uh, of using you know, non-state money is Bitcoin. So uh, he he thinks that, you know, over the next decade, uh, we might see, uh, we, well, he's saying we don't know, this has never happened before where we cancel a country, um, you know, basically take their foreign reserves that are, are denominated in US dollars or euros, and then also stop trade with them um, when they're the 12th largest economy in the world and one of the biggest producers of natural resources. So we have no idea what the second, third, fourth order effects of this are going to be. But he seems to think that there's going to be a massive shock. So all assets, there'll be like basically a, just a massive market crash in all assets. And then there will be a sort of reorganizing of what assets are important and which aren't. And he thinks like gold, Bitcoin come out on top here. Um, and he made price predictions for gold to go above 10,000 an ounce. And it's, I think it's about 1,900 or 2,000 an ounce now. Uh, and then his case for Bitcoin is a million. I think I don't know if he said a million or more than a million dollars, but obviously, like that's a five x move in gold, and uh, how much twenty x move in Bitcoin price from here? More than twenty x. Um, so pretty crazy times. Yeah, for sure. So um, Dan from the uh, from the audience has asked. Uh, you know, he makes a good case for gold, also for Bitcoin. Um, did you ever think about getting into gold after reading this article? Yeah, I've considered. I mean, I've definitely considered it, and I think he, he there, he, his his case for uh, you know countries moving to gold first because it's just established that's what they're used to. Um, it makes complete sense. I you know, and he his price. I mean, if we go by his price prediction, right? He's betting ten thousand an ounce gold, a million Bitcoin. So obviously, the upside on Bitcoin is way higher. Now, I know there's a case to be made for diversification in case one doesn't play out. Um, Versus the other, you know, we, I, I could say I'm going to just hold Bitcoin 
because it's going to go to a million. Why would I have gold? Why would I hold gold if it's only going to 5x? But of course, like you could be, you could be wrong on gold that it like goes to 50,000 and Bitcoin doesn't really move or he could be, you know, so you, you kind of have to make a bet. I, I, I'm not going to hold gold because I just think it's too cumbersome to, I want to take, I, I would want to like take physical possession and I don't want to buy a gold bar and then have to sell an entire gold bar if I want them, if I need the money for anything. I'm, I don't want to hold gold in my house. Like, you know, I already don't hold my Bitcoin keys like in one physical location so that I can't, you know, I, I, there's no way to $5 wrench attack me. So with gold, I would be five, I would be $5 wrench attackable if I had gold in my house. Um, and I just don't trust paper gold. I think when shit goes down, if you have a piece of paper that says you own some gold, good luck to you. But if you, if you have access to your own Bitcoin keys, then you're good. Yeah. $5 wrench attack. Yeah. I haven't heard that one before. That's a good one. It's a, it's yeah. a popular, it's a popular uh, phrase in the uh, Bitcoin security world. I got gotcha. you. Know, it's well, physical. Think... It's taking your key by physical force or taking, you know. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, why a lot of people are kind of flocking to Bitcoin over gold is just, you know, the, the ease of use of it. Um, you know, just uh, like, like you were saying, you know, you know, you can take your own keys and everything like that and store them in multiple locations and storing your own gold is a little bit uh, more difficult. Uh, you know, we have the Canadian Bitcoiners in here that said, you know, the confiscation of Venezuelan and Russian gold makes Bitcoin more attractive for governments around the world. And also think the same way with, you know, uh, an individual holding gold as well. Um, you know, it just makes it uh Holding Bitcoin is a little bit easier than, uh, you know, holding gold and, and ensuring that uh, that gold is legitimate and everything like that. And to sell it, if you're in a bind or anything like that, it's just, uh, you know, the, the use case for Bitcoin obviously is, uh, is a lot better than the use case for gold. And that's why a lot of people are flocking to it, uh, to say the least. Yeah, um, Arthur, Arthur makes the case um, that, you know, if the case for gold becomes blatantly obvious, because I still think most people don't understand gold and hard money versus fiat currency, like the general public has no fucking idea, right? And but he's making the case that um, if, if if you know the whole fiat currency thing has become like a bit of a meme, it has entered the sort of like the the general or or more of the mainstream attention, right? It, it, now people, I, I would say like five years ago, no one would have being able to know what a fiat currency was they don't understand but i think the term fiat and like inflation it's very much in the mainstream now and if 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 gold <laughs> i just read that canadian bitcoin has gone yes it is a 12 dollar wrench attack now correct uh, inflation <laughs> if it was a one bitcoin one bitcoin wrench attack is one bitcoin is one bitcoin but um arthur makes the case that you know if 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 the case for gold can be widely understood by by just the, the average person, then the jump to understanding Bitcoin via the analogy that Bitcoin is digital gold uh, is is a really relatively straightforward one. Um, because again, I don't I think people just like you know if you ask someone like why they why is real estate a popular investment for like you know the mainstream they'll just say oh because it always goes up they don't actually know why or whatever right they're just like they've been told you know they understand real estate goes up. They've heard someone, some investment expert say you should buy real estate and it goes up 20% every year and put your money on real estate. And so everyone just does that. And then real estate goes up and everyone thinks they're smart, but they don't actually understand it. And I think it's the same thing with like, if gold becomes the narrative um, and and there's like countries moving to towards holding their reserves in gold, then I think the average person will, and gold price goes up, you know, the average person will be like, oh, now the thing is to hold gold, buy gold. Um, and I think we move very easily to Bitcoin from there. 
but we're we're still the, the Bitcoin has the Bitcoin is better in most ways than gold, uh, but it still has the challenge that people you know just the, all the normal fud that and that makes people not understand it properly. I think it's used by criminals. They think it doesn't have any intrinsic value. Uh, they they a lot of people don't they don't think that it has an actual that the cap is real. They think oh somebody could just change the code. Yeah, so they don't understand it. They don't understand it. Yeah, for sure. But I, I mean, I agreed with your point, though, that I think inflation and everything like that is is kind of becoming more mainstream. People criticizing the Fed for every move they make or at least trying to understand it um, is definitely becoming more mainstream. I mean, I think the other day I, I saw, you know, uh, like a maybe it was like a tweet or something like that or uh, somebody was posting on Instagram um, and it was kind of going viral that it's like, well, all these people are you know, complaining about inflation and they want you to believe it's about Russia when they printed trillions of dollars and gave you $1,400 um, of it. And, uh, you know, now gas is doubled and, and all these other things. And they want you to believe that, hey, it's all because of, you know, the, the conflict going over in, in Russia and Ukraine when, you know, people aren't that stupid. Like, you know, they're going to go back and like look at it eventually. And I think more and more people are, are waking up to the fact that, you know, the current system that we're in is, is messed up. Like before it was just like, okay, it's the status quo. And now, um, you know, people are like, all right, the status quo is like affecting negatively affecting like millions of people. So, um, I think more people are going to kind of slowly get into to Bitcoin to, you know, as, as, as unfortunately as farther along as we go in this like inflationary time. And, um, you know, at first they told us inflation was, was transitory and now they're saying like, you know, there's going to be at least another year of high inflation. Um, so, uh, you know, now by all accounts, it just seems like there's really not an end in sight. Um, you know, one of uh, one of the guys I see on Twitter is uh, handles at Wayfaring uh, Bitcoiner, I believe, or BTC. -er. Uh, he posted a headline from CNN today that said uh, that they they're looking into giving inflation uh, stimulus checks. I've been calling this. I've been calling. I, I've been joking about it, like saying that they're going to print more. The solution is going to be, hey, gas prices are up, so we're going to give we're going to we're going to give everyone a thousand bucks so that it helps you cover your your uh, you know increased gas prices or increased energy bills or increased food bills. Uh, it's 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 a it's a meme, but it's going to be it's going to come true. Yeah, and uh, Joey and I were talking about this last week uh, when I had him on as well, and it's like. It, I don't understand like how people don't put two and two together. Um, I know like some of the inflationary times are some of the other, you know, there's some external factors that also are affecting inflation, whether it's supply chain issues or, I mean, you know, the, the geopolitical issue in Ukraine and, and Russia right now does play a part in it. But I mean, how can you say that printing trillions of dollars doesn't play any role in it at all? I, I mean, it's insane to me. Yeah. So I mean, I, you know, I don't think, well, actually, they are kind of saying, you know, I was going to say they don't claim it doesn't. They just kind of don't acknowledge it and they just blame it on something else. Not exclusively blaming it on something else, but they are blaming it on that other thing. Um, but, I, but I just realized, like, Biden does come out and he says, like, you know, government spending doesn't cause inflation. You know, that, there's that video that came out last week where he's like, you know, I'm sick of people thinking that government spending money causes inflation. It doesn't. It's a lie. And he's like, obviously, just making statements that aren't backed by any by any fact or truth. And and people aren't like, if you if you study like marketing, copywriting, uh, attention, like the more complex you make things, 
and and the truth is complex, right? So you need to make things complex to get to the truth. But the more complex you make things and you explain things, then the less attention you get. The things that get the most attention are simple narratives that aren't necessarily true. They're very easy to understand. Like that's why these like simple analogies catch on. They're not, and, and you know, and you have like with Bitcoin and the analogies, right? You have the crew of like, Bitcoin analogies are, are stupid because they don't describe Bitcoin properly. And then you have the people who are pushing the analogies because it helps. They, they are true to a certain like level, right? There's a bit of them that are true. It's not fully reflective of what Bitcoin is, but Bitcoin is kind of like digital gold. It's not exactly the same as like just gold in a digital form, but it, it explains an aspect of it. Like Bitcoin is energy in a way. Bitcoin is whatever in a way, but it's not, it's not fully encompassing of the explanation. Um, I, I don't even know why I was going with that. I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> we were, uh, we were just talking about how, you know, the inflation. Oh, narratives, Na narratives, right? So unfortunately, uh, things that aren't, that don't fully describe the, uh, the, the whole truth or, um, fully describe the way something actually is work. And this is why a narrative like Russia is called, you know, the Russia going to war with Ukraine is what's causing inflation is a really easy narrative to sell. And also because everyone like hates Russia right now, they're public enemy number one. It's easy to put the, you know, use them as a scapegoat and blame them for everything. Right. And then, you know, there's people that think there's so many people. And I used to be like this, that think that you're cultured and knowledgeable because you read the news. Like you keep up with current events, you know, because, you know, there's people like who don't know who the president of Russia is or, you know, they don't they don't keep up with with like current events and politics and economics. That's like all too fancy. Right. And then there's people who do that and they think they're really smart. And then there's a the people who've unplugged for the Matrix completely. Oh, 100 percent. And I think yeah. uh, you know, part of it might be through like education. I know when I was in high school, um, like my history and like economics class, like we would have to do a current event every week. And that was like part of our homework where we would have to go and read a news article. It didn't matter which one we would have to read a news article and uh, just write like a summary on it. And of course, you know, the news, and especially in the United States, uh, has big biases wherever you read it from. Um, and so you know, that's just kind of starting the whole brainwashing cycle in early on in high school. And then, you know, you get to college and it's kind of like the same thing. And if you have those, those type of majors, or you have to take, you know, all these kind of uh, general education courses where, you know, you have to get into the, the weeds of this, like that's, you know, you go into a professor's class and you go into office hours, like 90% of them have like some sort of CNN or, um, some kind of tab like that open uh, because that's exactly it. They think that they're getting educated by reading these news articles. And when really it's, you know, just people who have a, you know, four-year degree um, in, you know, writing or uh, I don't even know what the degree would be called anymore. It's escaping me, but uh, you know, the four-year degree, and then they just, uh, they're just doing their own personal research and, and all that and writing about it. And the, uh, people don't think that these, uh, you know, uh, writers don't have any, some, any sort of agenda behind it either, um, or aren't getting paid for it or some reason like that. So, um, yeah, I think it's just kind of a bad cycle that we're in, in the United States and, and globally as well. But I think more and more people are kind of opening up to the fact that these, uh, news outlets aren't necessarily there to give you the best information, um, uh, that they're there to, 
kind of give you their own swayed opinion. And I think uh, the clickbait uh, headlines are kind of becoming more and more evident. Um, and people are sort of waking up to it, at least in my opinion. I think a lot, of, a lot of my friends are getting a lot of their news from things like this, mediums like podcast and uh, maybe some sort of like blog from somebody that they like or know or something uh, opposed to the mainstream media. Yeah, I mean, there, there's an element of like, um, and I don't know if this is just, in, well, it's obviously not just in Bitcoin, but I, this is where I see it because I just spent all my time in, in the Bitcoin world. But there is like an element of, we're anti, uh, anti whatever the main narrative is now, right? Everyone's like, if if you know, if it's like everyone's for Ukraine, like you know, going against Russia for Ukraine, then there's also this anti narrative that it's like it's not that black and white, and like actually the West has done some bad things that's pushed Russia into, which is actually the truth, right? But some people just take the opposite view to the mainstream as like a uh, ideological standpoint without that much reasoning as well and i think a lot of what's happening now is like there's a very strong wave of anti-mainstream stuff uh it's like the old it's like you know it's like the the, every era has had this like this sort of wave. like punk rock was kind of like this or like hip-hop or like skater culture is like you know anti-mainstream anti-establishment except now with the internet uh you know you're able to gather that community online versus before it would just be small pockets in each city of people that hang out together. Now we're all hanging out together online. So we seem a lot, a lot bigger because I guess we're just united in one large group. And it's also, it's good to have, it's good to have these, like, it's good to have the, the internet and, and relatively free access or freer access to information than there was before, you know, because I know the internet still, um, there's still gatekeepers and stuff. It's not perfect. Yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, there has been, you know, some cases of censorship and things like that um, on the internet uh, fairly recently as well. But I think, yeah, like you said, there's, there's more, uh, you know, open, not, not open source, but uh, you know, mediums like Twitter where you're able to communicate ideas. Um, You know, obviously that's how we met um, is through Twitter. And uh, you know, I think a lot of the Bitcoin Twitter community too, you know, you can spread a lot of great ideas and I've learned a lot from just simply being on Twitter probably more so uh, about economics of being on Twitter than uh, and finding people posting blog articles and things like that, other than, uh, you know, actually in class. So um, yeah, it's been overall a good experience for me, but let's get into uh, the fed, uh, the United States federal reserve raising rates to 0.25. So this happened on Wednesday, March 16th. uh, So like two days prior to this recording, they raised it from about like, you know, they have a range of zero to 0.25 to about 2.5 to 5%. Um, and so the stock market uh, kind of reacted, you know, so there was, it was relatively stagnant and uh, Bitcoin also stayed relatively even, actually increased about 3% um, from the time I uh, last checked. Um, so it seemed like the interest rates didn't drastically affect the price action of Bitcoin. Um, and for me, this I, I see this as extremely bullish because, you know, obviously Bitcoin is very decentralized. It's not run by any government or single entity. Um, but uh, and uh, one single entity like the Fed, although, you know, the United States dollar is a global reserve currency, increasing that interest rate by 0.25 percent uh, really didn't do much overall to the Bitcoin price action. So um, <laughs> what do you uh what do you think uh, about uh, the Fed interest rates um, increasing and how that kind of overall affects uh, Bitcoin? 
Um, well, I think it wasn't a surprise. Well, you know, it actually was probably a surprise because there was a lot of, remember in our spaces um, when I was in Portugal, we, we had that really long rip that was like four hours long. And there was a lot of people that were like, there's no way they're raising interest rates even once. Like no chance everyone's laughing at them. Like, you know, I I've always thought they would, they would at least get one in there. Um, and And I think that the market's already priced in these things. Like we had a bit of a dump you know, maybe a month, a month and a half, two months ago. Right. Um, and that was when it, when the narrative switched from like, no, no rate rises until 2023, 2024 to like, Oh, we're going to raise rates four, five, six, seven times this year. So when that narrative shifted, um, and it, and I think it came from, you know, them claiming that inflation was going to be transitory. So there's no need to raise interest rates because inflation is going to go down to like realizing, Holy shit, we're like, in danger of like some hyperinflation go- going down. Um, so it's already priced in. Uh, and that's why I think Bitcoin hasn't reacted negatively. Um, I, so I agree with you. It's super bullish. I, we're having a little bit of a pop right now, 41.2. Um, so yeah, not, not a surprise. I think at this point, whether they do any more rate rises remains to be seen. I'm blending into my background here, aren't I? Yeah, just a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I actually, so I had um, Deer Point Macro. I do another spaces on uh, Tuesday nights, and it's mostly with people who have been in the, uh, I guess, analyzing the macro environment. And I think that they all bring a very unique perspective because they all understand the issues related to the overall macro environment and the fiat world, um, so to speak. But they're not Bitcoiners. Um, so they see a lot of like issues with like, you know, converting to Bitcoin, moving from the U S dollar and, and et cetera, et cetera. So they bring up a lot of good points about moving from like the U S dollar as a global reserve currency to the Bitcoin standard. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had dear point macro on there and, uh, he basically was saying that based on the data that he's seeing and, and analyzing, he says that, uh, he thinks that there's going to be at least three rate raises this year. Um, the fed, after they announced it, they predicted, I believe, um, I believe they predicted six, um, and they're going to bring the interest rate up to like 1.9% by the end of this year. And then they're going to do three more rate raises, um, in 2023. Uh, but overall, um, uh, you know, some, for somebody that work has been working in this space for quite a long time, um, he was saying, even from his perspective, it's it's not surprising that they raised it slightly, but they're not going to get up to the guarantee of what they had. Um, so I think, as far as like Bitcoin Twitter goes, and and everybody on the in the Bitcoin space, um, there are some people that are very knowledgeable on the overall macro environment. But I think, um, I think that there's still some some things that the Fed is going to try to do to combat inflation, and one of those things is is raise interest rates and. Uh, they're not going to be able to avoid completely not raising rates. So I agree with you there. Um, so I'm not surprised that they did it here. Uh, but I also think that they're going to have to minimize it because, um, you know, right now we've had, you know, a semi all right, um, you know, reaction to it as far as like the stock market goes and Bitcoin market um, as far as like the price action. But I think, you know, long term it's definitely not good to have this this massive amount of inflation and they're gonna have to try to do something 
Um, and I think that something is just raised rates, uh, but they're not going to be able to do it as much as they're saying it right now. So, I mean, yeah. is, is one point, you know, if they get to 1.9% interest, is that really enough to do, to even make a dent in what's going on? If inflation's like, what was it? 7.9% or whatever, it's presumably going to go higher. So I, I don't, I just don't see how 1.9 does anything. So, and, and like how 0.25, I think the actual, the, the, sort of fear of like just the fact that they said we're going to raise rates which which is different to the narrative of we're not going to raise rates until 2024 that's what sort of brought the fear and or a little bit of uncertainty or panic into the markets the actual impact of a 0.25 percent rate rise or even several rate rises that take us to like a 1.9 percent interest rate the impact the actual impact fundamentally is negligible uh in the current environment so uh, yeah, and and particularly particularly with the geopolitical situation, I just don't see how that brings prices of anything down. I think if anything, if we go by Arthur Hayes' article, like we have no idea what is going, what are, what the second third order effects of all these of this like financial war against Russia is going to be. And if it la- now looks like I've been reading headlines on Zero Hedge and Walter Bloomberg, you know, saying that China is thinking about backing Russia militarily, yeah, that would be insane. Yeah, I did see. Ima- like imagine, that. imagine if the U.S. like just I don't actually know logistically how you can cancel someone's like. I guess you just like default on their treasury, the treasury bills held by China, right? You just say your treasury bills, we're not going to pay them back, so you're they're worthless. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, right? I don't know how that all play out, but um, it also worries me too because you know we're having this supply chain issue um, right now as it stands, and uh, you know a lot of the. Uh, semiconductors that we receive in the, at least in the United States are oh, everywhere. Yeah. And so uh, that'll cause another big global issue. And uh, yeah, so overall it just wouldn't be a, uh, a great, yeah, Joey's in the crowd and he says they pull treasury. So China holds somewhere between three to 4 trillion yeah. of USD in their treasuries um, so yeah. that they would hold it. Yeah. Well, so. you can bet, you can bet, you know, a whole Bitcoin that they are dumping that shit as we speak. And, you know, whether they're like just stockpiling or all these countries are just going to start, start stockpiling oil, gold, wheat, ammonia, whatever it is, like all these, all these commodities. And they're going to dump treasuries like you've never seen before. And um, that's just going to mean that the Fed's going to have to buy up, you know, the Fed's going to be the the buyer of first and last resort of U S treasuries. Um, <laughs> yeah exactly but uh i i mean the interesting thing is too is like when i when i have these like macro guys on as well in, in my space i keep kind of reverting back to them but they say you know if you look back for the past like 10 or 15 years you kind of see a trend in a lot of headlines of russia and uh Russia and China buying up commodities and getting out of the U.S. dollar because they kind of see the writing on the wall. And this whole, you know, COVID situation where the United States decided to, to print a ton of money um, and, you know, are causing massive amounts of inflation, uh, China and Russia have kind of been preparing for it. Uh, and it seems like, you know, eventually they're going to, you know, obviously get out of it. And they were preparing for something in the future um, and kind of getting away from that, too. So, um, I mean, China in particular is investing in infrastructure in countries that have, that are resource rich, particularly in Africa. Uh, they have a lot of influence, although it, it's waning a bit because I think Australia has tried to distance itself um, 
or at least like sort of cut off its dependency on on try on Chinese natural resources. But they, I think, Australia is heavily dependent on some Chinese natural resources and also on selling China its own natural resources as well. But you see China going into Africa and investing, you know, through Belt and Road, and that way it control. It's basically like buying equity stakes in very important infrastructure and natural resource projects and and um, just general important infrastructure in African countries. And then when those countries can't pay back that can't pay back the investment or whatever, China just goes, okay, well now we take this port, now we take this rail railroad, now we take this oil reserve uh, or this oil field, or we take this, and then bam, they like. You, you suddenly have, and I'm not sure if they're doing this because like they China's not really interested in making the yuan the uh, world reserve currency. So it's 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 quite likely that they're sort of like gaining, they're aiming to gain financial influence over the world just by owning infrastructure and assets rather than by like everyone using the yuan as the world reserve currency. Because then they would have to open up the capital, their capital markets and let the yuan free float, which they don't want to do. Um, because they don't want the yuan to appreciate massively. Otherwise, they're they don't become the world's cheap fac- like factory of making cheap goods uh, if the yuan appreciates too much. Yeah. Well, yeah. the Canadian Bitcoiners rose a, a good question. They said the last time the U.S. defaulted on their debt, gold spiked. What do you think will happen if uh, to Bitcoin if this plays out again? Um, I mean, in the short run, I probably it would t- it would tank. I, I think like. Bitcoin trades very much like a risk on asset. So it's going to, it's going to, it's going to, it's treated like sort of like a high growth tech stock. Um, so we need the, we need the digital gold narrative to be pervasive in, in, in mainstream um, for, for Bitcoin to be repriced as a risk off asset. But that's where the massive opportunity rises, right? Because it is a risk off asset. It is, it is a safe haven. Uh, and, the longer people don't realize that whilst it's necessary, the better it is for all those of us that do realize that. And so let it trade like a risk on asset, let it tank. We can scoop as much of it as we want. And then when the world, because remember Bitcoiners are just like two to five years ahead of everyone else, right? We're just seeing what's good. We we see what's going to happen and no one else realizes it until it actually slaps them in the face. So let it trade like a risk on asset, let it dump, Let's buy as much as we can for ourselves uh, and then let it be repriced as risk off uh, when the shit really hits the fan. Yeah, there you go. You can swear on this program, Gandalf. This is not a children's program. Uh, I swore, right? I said shit. Yeah, but you were getting chirped for saying heck earlier. So uh, you could say hell. You could say fuck. I was getting trolled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, This isn't the Canadian. I said heck. Yes, you can. You can swear on this one. No children. Yeah, no children. All right. Well, let's let's move on to another topic that I saw um, on Twitter. I don't know if you if you noticed this. Um, you know, if you're if you're plugged into Bitcoin Twitter, you might not have seen. I, I've seen this kind of like the outskirts, but I've seen quite a few U.S. politicians say, "I'm running for U.S. Senate, and I believe in you know Bitcoin." And you know, I've even I've even seen a, another account kind of reply back to them, say, "You created this account about a week ago." Um, and he uh, created this account about about a week ago just to tweet about Bitcoin and, and gain a following. And so a lot of these politicians in the United States are gaining a lot of traction on Twitter uh, after tweeting about Bitcoin and saying how all their policies are going to, you know, drastically improve Bitcoin or help Bitcoin, yada, yada, yada. Um, 
you know, I'd like to hear your opinion on it. Then I'll give give my little rant, I guess, on it. Fucking LARPers. <laughs> um, look, most of them don't. Most of them are parroting a narrative because they think it's going to get them uh, votes. That's it. Like they've learned three or four talking points. Think about the audience they're speaking to, right? They're speaking to the mainstream person that understands nothing, um, holds the politician up on a pedestal. They think the politician is some super smart person that knows exactly what they're talking about, everything. And like, they're just taking what they say at face value. Um, I mean, in a way, it's like, is it better that they are at least pretending to to support Bitcoin or at least like, you know, they're pandering to Bitcoiners for the vote? Is it is that better than if they didn't or if they hated Bitcoin? Quite possibly. Um, but it's not going to lead anywhere. It's not going to lead to truth, right? It's not going to lead anywhere uh, that I think we want to go. Uh, uh, all it's going to do is it's going to make us vote for people uh, based on a single issue, probably blinding us to the... Uh, negative aspects of of those politicians, and then they're gonna uh, come into power, and then they're just gonna really do what they always do. Um, the, the system the system is too strong for any one person or even any group of politicians to change it. You can see that in the fact that, like you know, we switch like well in the U.S. and, the, and a whole bunch of other democracies, they switch between two opposing parties, and they both do the same thing: they print money uh, and they they. Yeah, they just basically politics is about winning votes. And how do you win votes? You give people free shit. It's marketing 101 as well, right? If you give people free shit, you give them free trials, you give them do giveaways that attracts people. People want free stuff. And it's the same with it's the same with the general population. It's the same with like when you grow the state so big that it's one of the largest employers of people in 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 the country, you you can't reduce the size of the state. Because that's just extremely unpopular. You're not going to you're not going to win the vote by saying, "Hey, uh, um, civil servants, I'm going to fire half of you. Like you're, you know, half of you are going to be unemployed. We'll cut the deficit, though. We'll have less debt. That doesn't affect you today. Like you don't care about the debt today. It doesn't make any difference. You care about having a fucking job. So the state is just it's just pol politics and the state. The incentives are so fucked, and um, I just don't really trust any of them. I I, I think they have good intentions. But intentions mean fuck all if you can't execute on on what needs to be done. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100% here. I think that they're all, you know, you got to be very, very cautious with with who you're voting for and kind of the issues that they're presenting, right? Because I agree. I think a lot of them are pandering to the Bitcoin crowd and they're trying to get votes uh, for people on a single issue. And they kind of see the trend of Bitcoin. Uh, but I think... It's deeper than that. I think you need to look at if a politician's really following the Bitcoin ethos. Uh, you know, my former co-host was really big on the New York state mayor who accepted uh, half of his paycheck in Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, then he increased the mask, mask mandates in New York. So, um, you know, for me, I don't really agree with that because it's a really against the, the Bitcoin ethos and like the freedom of you know, that Bitcoin offers. So from there, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of similar in, in a few other states, right? So we've seen a lot of the Southern states like Texas, Florida, uh, Tennessee, Wyoming, South Dakota, be very friendly to Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, uh, using the energy and things like that. In fact, I think Texas even like encouraged Bitcoin mining because it helped with the grid uh, after they had like that big snowstorm uh, this past year, I believe it was winter, um, where their grid got shut off and everything like that. Um, 
But uh, where, where we're seeing states that uh, have been very much, you know, lockdown heavy and uh, against uh, freedom and, and more about censorship and, and things like that, you know, states that come to mind are like Illinois and Georgia, where, um, you know, now they're trying to, they're seeing such a big market of, of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining that they're saying like, hey, you know, we're going to give you tax breaks if you come here. We're going to do this to, to help incentivize people to, to move here. But I think, you know, overall people, you know, that, that affects some, but a lot of people understand, you know, the overall overarching, um, you know, politics and, and how a lot of these policies affect them from the day to day. So uh, at least in the United States, we're seeing a lot of people vote quote unquote with their legs. We're seeing a lot of people flee states like California, New York, and move to a lot of these Southern states, uh, not only because of the weather and because it's, you know, a little bit nicer. I mean, California, you know, by all accounts has great weather, but uh, the policies and everything like that have turned it and made it very, very difficult to live there and afford to live there too. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm for one extremely wary about any time a politician says anything. Um, you know, I think that they're, you know, no matter what side they're on, they're, they're probably lying or, or at least fudging the truth or it's very, very rehearsed. And uh, that makes it a little little more dangerous um, because they're trying to either play to your emotions or, um, you know, get you to to sway you based on, you know, like you said, a single issue. So I think, uh, you know, we've also seen, um, you know, I think Bitcoin Magazine had a Twitter spaces with a guy named Josh Mandel, who uh, I, I can't remember what exactly he's running for, but he's running for something in Ohio. And uh they had some technical issues on there, and uh, I know in the crowd, me, um, Dan, and uh, Joey, and, and Len from the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast, we were all listening to that, kind of texting around, and, and he would say the same thing uh, like two or three times because you know it's, it's obviously like this line that he's rehearsed that he wants to take people to get uh, you know stuck around, um, and so just simply from that, uh, you know, it, it makes you wary about. Uh, it makes you wary about what he's, uh, you know, what his real, um, I guess, intentions are. But uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, politicians, I, look, politicians aren't gonna give. Uh, politicians aren't a way for the individual to take power back into their own hands. Like voting for a specific politician is not gonna give the power back to the individual. What you have to do as an individual is 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 take power back. And the way you take control or power back is you vote with your feet. You live where you're treated best because you're encouraging, you're incentivizing that treatment by by rewarding it with your presence and your economic activity in, in a given physical location. And then you need to buy Bitcoin, buy and hold your wealth in Bitcoin so that nobody can control it. And those are two, the two probably most powerful things that you can do if you want to, if you want, if you want to instigate like a systemic change. It's that's how you do it. It isn't voting for Erica Rhodes or XYZ politician or whatever. Maybe you can do that too. And it has a little bit of a difference because we'd rather maybe have Erica. Erica's better than, than uh, Brad Sherman or whoever she's trying to replace. Right. But yeah, she's, she's also, she's playing in the same game, right? You can't change the rule. If you want to play, like if you're playing American, you're not going to go on American football field and win an American football game by playing volleyball rules because that's just not how it works. You have to play American football rules and they, and American football rules have certain restrictions, certain things you can't do. You want to, you know, you want to like 
throw the ball up in the air and start and like volley it. You can't do that in American football, but that maybe that's what needs to happen in the world. And so you need to play a whole different game. You can't, if you enter the game of politics, you're constrained by the incentive structure of the system of politics and you'll end up doing what everyone else is doing. Like if you come in and you think like every politician has done it wrong, they're all idiots. Guess what happens? Everyone just does the same thing because it's about the game. It's about the system. You're a, you're a pawn of the system as a politician. You're not making or controlling the system. It is controlling you. Oh, hundred percent. And I mean, <clears throat> the system has been broken for you know quite a long time, especially the two-party system in the United States. So it's like, you know, the narrative um, since maybe 2016, uh, the past two elections that that I've been, you know, able to to vote in at least. Um, they've uh, the narrative has been like, all right, we have two bad choices. It's either bad or worse, um, and that's what kind of how people viewed it. And um, you know, it's really a shame that that that's being the you know the narrative when the united states tries to be or tries to claim to be like you know the greatest country on earth so if that's the case and we're you know such a great country why can't we find somebody that you know majority of people feel some type you know positively about but it seems like you know no matter what uh whoever the president is in the united states you know half the country is going to hate them anyway so um you know it's just kind of it's, it's kind of how it is now and uh yeah, like you said it, it's all you know, a system and, and every politician is just essentially a pawn in it. So um, it's just pieces moving around and, uh, you know, the American people and globally um, are just being drastically affected by it. So it's, it's kind of unfortunate that this is the way it's going and it, it needs a drastic change. Um, how that's going to happen or if that's going to happen, I don't see it happening anytime soon because anytime anything happens in the United States government, it takes forever to get passed unless it's a, uh, you know, something that involves maybe a jab or two here or there. So I'm going yeah. to get it from that one. But I mean, in a, in a way, it's a good thing because you don't want you don't want like the, the fate of a nation to be um, dependent on a single person. You don't want a single person to have that much power. Um, that's sort of like what happens in dictatorships, right, where it's like about the dictator rather than rather than the system itself. The dictator is the system. So at least in the U.S., you have a thing where it's like you can just put anyone there and, and you know, it's a relatively i know we're you know unplugging from the matrix and being a bitcoiner can be a bit depressing sometimes because um yeah you hear a lot of people you know you talk about bitcoin as hope and bitcoin but but at the same time you see the world for the messy place that it is and it can be a little bit depressing and and make you feel a bit hopeless but if you think about it like the us is generally a great country like you know, people aren't there. I know that there's problems and stuff, but you know, that you have opportunities to do well for yourself. You have opportunities to, to, you know, get ahead, start a business, have a career, get an education. Uh, you know, you've clean running water, relatively fresh air to breathe countryside. Like there's a lot of good stuff too. Um, we just tend to focus on all the, all the shitty stuff and it can, that it can make the world just seem really, really bad. Uh, but you know, go live in a place that's let, you know, not as advanced as the U S or just less economically fortunate. And, and you understand like how lucky, how good, um, we have it over, over in the West. So it, it, it in a way, it's a good thing that the system works to the level of that it does now. Um, improvements can definitely be made there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's get into, um, I guess, a little bit more uh, policies going on in uh, in Europe. Arno and uh, 
in the age. I don't know. I don't know where the Ukraine is. But anyway, Ukraine Europe. works to legalize Bitcoin and crypto. So, um, you know, it's been very popularized that Ukraine has uh, been accepting donations in Bitcoin and in crypto. Um, you know, there's been some flack with like the CEO of Polkadot, um, you know, only donating or seeming to only donate if uh, the Ukraine accepts them in Polkadot. But uh, essentially, the Ukraine is kind of is looking to legalize all Bitcoin and cryptocurrency regulations as donations have you know rolled in to help uh, Ukraine's effort to stay a sovereign nation. Um, so, me personally, I don't think this really comes as as a surprise. But uh, you know, if you know, I guess if there's any kind of bright spot in in what's going on over there, it's like you know, it's it's helping. Um, I guess I don't know if this is great to say, but it's helping adoption. Um, it's it's showing the the use case of uh, you know a central bank can't necessarily shut down transactions from uh, point A to to the Ukraine, and uh, yeah, everybody seems to be extremely generous as it, as they're going on, and they're um, you know helping the Ukraine in any way possible. So um, yeah, what do you uh, what do you think about uh, the Ukraine kind of? Uh, I guess, legalizing Bitcoin and crypto transactions. I'm always like, so having, you know, I'm working on BTC times, I've just been more like aware of what the media says and how the media presents certain news. And one of the things is like, you see like, oh, such and such country is legalizing crypto, right? Or it's like, but it wasn't illegal there. So it's not being legalized, right? There's just some regulatory framework that's being put in place around Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies, but they weren't, illegal so saying they're legalized is i think just like sensationalist making it seem like oh now you know now they're finally legitimized or whatever they were already like being used ukraine was already receiving uh donations in bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies i mean uh, a side note on that that the shit coiners really made themselves look real bad with uh you know justin's son crying about tron users not receiving an air nft airdrop that ukraine i mean what the fuck is ukraine doing anyway trying to like airdrop an nft i know they're trying to seem hip and stuff the, the ukrainian propaganda war propaganda has been fantastic uh, and people are lapping it up because you know i mean i'm in scotland there's like fl there's people flying ukrainian flags out their windows here um, um it, it, it's nice it, i think it, it's a good the intentions behind like showing solidarity with uh with ukrainians is nice but it's it's also a lot of virtue signaling which i don't really like what's the what's the comment no, yeah so the, the canadian bitcoiners are chirping me because i was unaware of where uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh cl classic this, american brandon classic yeah american. you can't get this kind of content anywhere else you know i, I mean i'm i'm just here I'm a guy. I mean, it's the day after St. Patrick's Day, and I'm coming and I'm bringing you guys a newsletter. I'm bringing you know a live stream and I'm bringing audio. But you know, it's neither here nor there. I'm out here grinding. But it's whatever. It's whatever. Where's you know? Do you know where Ireland is? Yeah, I do. Like, <laughs> it's in Boston. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a bar right down the street. Yeah. <laughs> Irish, Irish yeah. whiskeys. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the um. You know, it's amazing. I was thinking about it today, actually. Like last year, we had we had a country announce that they were making Bitcoin legal tender. And I think the price of Bitcoin went from like 32 to 34K or something. Like no one gave up. Generally speaking, no one gave a fuck, right? 
And then you have Elon Musk tweeting that Tesla buys $1.5 billion of Bitcoin and Bitcoin goes from 32,000 to 48,000 or whatever it did, like massive fucking jump in like a week, right? Uh, so it just goes to show like the power of the meme, the power of like media, the power of like, uh, I guess a reputation, how much better of a reputation, like the El Salvador thing is way bigger than Tesla buying Bitcoin, in my opinion, fundamentally, right? Uh, you potentially have a country that's opened the door to like multiple nation states following in their footsteps. Whereas like Tesla is not really opening the door for companies to own Bitcoin. I think MicroStrategy did that first. And it's obviously also not even really catching on so much yet. Um, so it's not like we've seen a, we, you know, there was that period of like months where we're every, every like quarterly earning report, like, oh, is Microsoft going to announce it? What Bitcoin is Amazon's, you know, Twitter, Facebook, like all the, all the big Netflix. You know, nothing, zilch, nada. Um, and, and then we have like now rumors of more countries coming coming uh, to make Bitcoin legal tender states. Like there's politicians, there's so much going on with Bitcoin and we're still at 41K. Yeah, so, exactly. I think um, uh, I saw like, uh, you know, uh, Brazil and Mexico are probably going to be two of the close our are two of the closest uh, countries to make it uh, Bitcoin legal tender. And then, uh, you know, Argentina just got strike um, able or has the ability mm. to uh, strike is now in our, in Argentina and that's yep. how it started in El Salvador. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, and then speaking of El Salvador, um, you know, they, they also announced recently that they're going to start making some changes and uh, some improvements to the Chivo wallet. Um, so the Chivo wallet uh, is uh, they partnered with the El Salvadorian government to allow citizens to hold and transact uh, Bitcoin. But there's kind of been some major issues which may have affected uh, adoption in the country. So there's been four million downloads, which is very encouraging, but only 100,000 of those four million are active users. Um, so. Yeah, like yeah. I said, it seems like uh, it's kind of been hurting it, but uh, it's encouraging to me that, you know, Bukele is very active on Twitter. Bukele is very much in, you know, the hip Bitcoin space and Bitcoin Twitter. He understands, you know, all the ethos and everything behind it. And he he seems to be doubling down at every corner, right? So he's making a almost like a risky, um, not very popular play. Uh, you know, we have the IMF kind of coming at El Salvador and everything like that. Um, the United States announcing that they're going to investigate El Salvador. Uh, but at, at every corner, he seems to be like, yeah, fuck them. I'm going to do what I think is best for my country. And uh, I'm going to keep going at it. And he, uh, you know, yeah, he's been uh, going back and forth and with everybody on Twitter and just calling out politicians globally, which is insane to see that we're all seeing it on Twitter uh, as well. But uh yeah, what do you think about the improvements uh, that that that's going to be made in in uh, to the Chivo wallet? And you know, I guess uh, you, we we kind of touched on El Salvador as a whole, but if you want to dive in a little bit more on that, yeah, I mean, so I for for those of, um, for the audience, I've been to El Salvador, and so I, I've seen firsthand, like, and I when did I go? November twenty twenty one. So I think it was like just a month or two after Bitcoin became like officially legal tender. I think the the legal tender like kicked in September 16th or something. Or it was sometime in September, I think. Um, so I've been down there. And, you know, the whole, the 4 million downloads of Chivo Wallet, but only 100,000 active users makes total sense because the government gave everyone $30 of free Bitcoin, uh, you know, in a country where the average salary is like 400 US a month or something or 380 US a month, 30, bu uh, 30 bucks is a lot. So 
of course everyone downloaded it they all wanted the free money right everyone went and they spent the money i i talked to like you know taxi drivers and shopkeepers and stuff and i asked them if they use bitcoin what do they do that they keep the bitcoin do they understand you know just general chat to get a feel for what their understanding of bitcoin is and everyone just told me they spent the they spent that they spent the bitcoin they changed it to dollars they use it to pay their like electricity bill that month or they you know they did their week's grocery shopping um it was one guy that said he was using bitcoin to send money to his to someone in like a family member in the u.s or or that like his family in the u.s was using it to send money to his mom in 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 el salvador and they were saving like you know tens of dollars in in monthly fees you know if they're sending her 200 bucks a month or something he's like before we were paying 20 bucks or 30 bucks in fees and now we pay nothing so that's great but you know you're implementing a a money think about how many people understand bitcoin just generally in the in the world right now not very many so you're 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 rolling it out in a place that's just generally like economically underdeveloped. The people are just generally undereducated uh, and and expecting it to just be like, oh, everyone gets Bitcoin there and they all use it and stuff. Like no one gets it. Most places don't take it because they haven't set up the infrastructure. So I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen. And the way that happens is like from the from grassroots level up. It's not going to be government coordinated education unless they start like you know they do a class where they teach you about money at school which i highly doubt and that's going to take like two decades to permeate the entire society it has to be people going down to el salvador using bitcoin and basically one to one to one to one to one educating everyone that you come into contact with about what bitcoin is you pay them in bitcoin you try to you know have a simple to understand like three or four sentence like narrative as to why Bitcoin is is good money. And and that's how it's going to play out. I mean, if lots of people, there has to be like an aligned incentive or benefit. So lots of people go to El Salvador uh, and people are, there's a narrative that like Bitcoin is attracting tourism to El Salvador and it's making people go there and spend money. And that's just been good for the general population because they've been the businesses have been able to make more money it's created more jobs then that's a good thing for bitcoin um but it requires it to work in terms of attracting capital and people to visit el salvador i think it is though it seems to be well yeah it definitely seems to be as well to me as well i know you know i'm, a, I'm on bitcoin twitter and it seems like a lot of people are going to el salvador uh, to visit and for conferences you know they had the big big bitcoin conference and everything like that as well i mean you went uh did you ever go to El Salvador before or did you ever plan on ever going to El Salvador before, uh, you know, the conference there? No, absolutely not. I would have, I don't think I would have ever thought, even really have thought about the country other than if I was like playing, you know, a game where I have to name every country in the world and, or, you know, and El Salvador just pops up. Otherwise I would have never probably thought of it. And, um, but, but I will say one thing, like going down there, the people were amazing, like so friendly, so generous, so kind. Like I was not, I, I traveled around. I drove like, you know, hour and a half out of San Salvador. I went to Zante. Like everyone was super nice. I never felt, uh, you know, scared or like I was in danger because I think one of the sort of uh, perceptions of, of uh, El Salvador is that it, it is a very dangerous place. And I think it did have like at one point the highest homicide rate in South America or in Central in America, the Americas or in the world or something like some ridiculous high rate of of homicides and and the president often like tweets stats about like oh there was no homicides today like that's a good thing um but but yeah it was amazing i highly recommend 
especially for people who live over on that side of the world, like to make a trip to see what it's like to go to a country where Bitcoin is legal tender. Like, I don't think we, I don't think as Bitcoiners, we really appreciate the magnitude of the fact that like Bitcoin is fucking legal tender in a country. That's insane. So um, getting down there to visit it uh, is probably just, it's like a moment in history, right? You're going to a place where potentially something that's going to permeate throughout the entire world first happened. Um, or it could die. Like, you know, Bukele could not be voted in as the next president. And the next president says, like, I'm taking Bitcoin as legal tender. Bitcoin could be a failed experiment that doesn't take off, doesn't become legal tender anywhere. Um, and so you might just have this one opportunity to go somewhere and experience it being Bitcoin, I'm uh, sorry, being legal tender. So, you know, success right. is not guaranteed. I think we think that Bitcoin has already won and that's a meme and even I say it, right? But it's not guaranteed. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like kind of one thing that, you know, you, you get into the Bitcoin Twitter. I don't, I don't want to call it like an echo chamber or anything like that, but it is, you know, a, a, lot, it is an echo chamber. Yeah. And, uh, an you know, chamber. a lot of people just, you know, that, that's why I kind of like to talk to the, some of these other, uh, you know, other macro guys, because they, they're counter to, to all of it is like, well, you know, El Salvador is like, you know, essentially a third world country. Um, you know, it's a very small amount of people. Um, you know, they're getting away from, you know, uh, the United States dollar, but at the same time, the United States dollar is still legal tender there. Um, it's still a source of medium. And most people there have uh, kind of, you know, we, we see all the the bear articles, right, where where they say, uh, you know, it's not being really adopted or anything like that. People still prefer the dollar. And it's uh, 100 yeah, percent true. I mean, yeah, I, I, but I, I also see there's a lot of, you know, positives that have happened uh positives that have happened uh because of it and i think the tourism is is definitely one of them um you know i think i've, I've seen a couple people on twitter one of them i want to say opened up like uh maybe like a dentist office or something like that and she was yeah, Su Susie. yeah she's a full-on bitcoiner yeah. and then um you know we've heard about the uh the country of el salvador opening up like a new veterinary hospital because of their move or they at least credit it to their move to, to bitcoin as legal tender so um, definitely a lot of positives that have come out of it. Um, and I think like, I mean, you know, overall just more, more press too. And it's a net, it's a net, it's definitely a net positive, right? You can, you, all the arguments that El Salvador is a third world country and it's a small economy and it's not big impact on the world, uh, you know, it doesn't have a big impact on the world stage, you know, completely agree with those things, but is it better than just having the dollar? I would say so. Like I would say definitely the, the, the benefit to El Salvador of adopting Bitcoin like compare, like think about MicroStrategy as well. It's the same thing, right? Nobody knew who Michael Saylor or MicroStrategy was before they decided to buy Bitcoin, right? And not only has it had like a massively positive impact on them as a company in terms of like now they have a really good treasury reserve asset that's gone up in value fourfold since they first started buying it. Actually, they they have actually they're buying so aggressively they're like thirty k average price, but they're still up. That's you know twenty five percent or whatever it is, and or thirty percent in in a year and a half. It's not bad. Better than a kick in the balls. Um, uh, but but now everyone knows who MicroStrategy is, right? And everyone knows who Michael Saylor is. And that that having that attention, that reach, I'm sure has grown, helped them grow their core business, get more clients, um, and it's put them on the map. Like, and it's put El Salvador on the map. You know, no, no pun intended, but it like literally has. So it's definitely a net positive. It has is has it been this like monetary revolution that's changed the world? No but it's been great for them and it's great for Bitcoin so far as well.
Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm going to put you here on the spot because Dan and I have, have talked about this a lot privately. Mm. Every time we see an interview from Michael Saylor, we see him go on the same kind of a similar two to three hour rant about Bitcoin, what Bitcoin is, like the positives of it. But I have no idea what MicroStrategy actually does. Do you know what MicroStrategy, like the company actually does? Because he never goes out and uh, actually talks about his company. Like he's a great spokesperson for for Bitcoin. Uh, you know, we got the Canadian Bitcoiners in the chat saying that as well. Uh, and I definitely agree with that. But, you know, at the same time, like, why am I going, why would I invest in in MicroStrategy and not in Bitcoin? Um, I guess, uh, uh, give me your best, uh, I, I guess, uh, view on that okay so why so there's two questions what does microstrategy do and then there's a second question uh why would i invest in in microstrategy and not bitcoin um yeah so microstrategy the fact that you're even the number one like before you didn't even know that you didn't know that microstrategy existed they weren't even they weren't in it's not like oh microstrategy is this thing but i don't know who they are that's you now right before it was you didn't even know that you didn't know that microstrategy existed because it was like they're not even in the realm of, of, of reality. You have no idea they exist. So now you're at least you're aware of them. You're asking a question of what do they do, right? So we're about to like Michael Saylor bangs on about Bitcoin and doesn't talk about microstrategy. But he's doing like the one on one sales pitch, but using media to reach millions of people every time he does the pitch. But every time he speaks on any medium, you can guarantee there's like tens of thousands of people who uh, who haven't heard him speak before. It's the first time that they're hearing him speak. So this is why he, he knows this. He knows he just needs to hammer away the message, right? About Bitcoin, about Bitcoin. And he doesn't need to directly speak about MicroStrategy because by speaking about Bitcoin and presenting as the CEO of MicroStrategy and they've bought Bitcoin, then that's just going to attract attention. People like you asking and people like the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast, what does MicroStrategy do? I don't, so I actually know someone who work, worked at MicroStrategy. Um, oh, yeah. Used to work at MicroStrategy, um, so they they they're a business intelligence company. They basically, I think, what they do is they come in and they help you take information that you have about your business, whether it's like clients or whatever, and then they help you build like uh, uh, software that lets you analyze the data and use it to make change in the business. So, like, I don't know. I guess like you can analyze like foot traffic if you're a mall operator, or like you know if you're a supermarket you can analyze like what products get bought the most and like they just help you build custom software um, to meet your specific business and uh, analytical needs. As I understand it, that's what they do. So, okay. And I think they compete with like Oracle and uh, forgot the other name of it, but okay. those kinds of companies. But I think, yeah, business intelligence. I know that's a very like opaque term. It doesn't really, yeah. what does that even mean? But yeah, it's basically, I think just taking, they take data and they build a software system and a database that allows you to, to analyze and use that data to make business decisions. Gotcha. Right. All right. So that's what they do. Uh, and I didn't know MicroStrategy existed before either. So yeah. But, All yeah. right. That's fair. Uh, and then second question, why would you buy Bitcoin? Sorry. Why would you buy MicroStrategy instead of Bitcoin? To me, MicroStrategy is basically a proxy to Bitcoin. Right. And I would not buy MicroStrategy instead of Bitcoin if I if, you know, if there was completely free markets and it didn't make a difference. You know, there was no like uh, there was no sort of like regulatory or like uh, uh, account advantages to buying one over the other. I would always just buy and hold Bitcoin. But I understand that there's people that like, you know, they want to put they 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 
they have a savings or an investment plan that only allows them to put equity in. There's institutions that can't buy Bitcoin. So there are particular, there are specific players or investors that will use MicroStrategy and it makes sense for them to use MicroStrategy as a proxy to Bitcoin. But if you're an individual that can like, you know, you can put Bitcoin in an IRA like you can in the, or a Roth IRA like you can in the US and you can hold your own keys with, is it choice? Yeah, with choice. Yep. Give them a little chill. Other products, yeah, that that do yeah, that. So- choice, choice, we work with really closely. And teaser, we actually have uh, Brian Harrington from Choice coming on next week. So amazing. Uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, so you know, if you can do that, and like it's the same tax advantages as like holding stocks, then yeah, you should. I would just hold, you know, Bitcoin rather than some a miner or whatever else. But if you understand the mining business and you think that you have an edge in picking mining stocks and you think they're going to outperform Bitcoin or there's a certain advantage to them over Bitcoin itself, or you just want to, you have so much money that you want to hedge a little bit and you want to diversify, but, but concentrate, you know, it make, might make sense to buy. I know you guys like, you know, you own stocks and you buy, I, I'm a hundred percent Bitcoin. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go, I'm trying to understand every aspect of Bitcoin really, 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 really well and deeply. And so I don't have, the willingness and all the time to focus on anything else. Um, and, and it's just easy for me to just keep my net worth in Bitcoin. Um, so that's why, that's why I do that. And that's why I hold Bitcoin versus other stuff. I don't want the execution risk, the human risk, the, you know, the energy grid risk. There's a whole bunch of risks like in investing in other, uh, other like Bitcoin proxies. I'd rather just hold the actual thing because that's what those companies are just there to get more Bitcoin. Right. No, Miners yeah. are there to get more Bitcoin. They're all holding Bitcoin. They're not even selling the Bitcoin anymore. If they were selling the Bitcoin, it's a whole different game, ball game. But now they're just like, they're a way to acquire Bitcoin without holding it directly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But, but I, I mean, from my perspective, I think like, you know, there's still some some benefit for traditional equities like stocks and, and everything like that. Um, and uh yeah, I mean, for like certain accounts too, like my my retirement account. Um, although I I believe deeply in uh, in Bitcoin, and I think Bitcoin's going to go, you know, going to take off and, and change a lot of things. I think you know, in a in a in a, in a uh, an account that I'm investing more for the long term, um, like thirty plus years, it won't hurt me as much if I'm a little bit more diversified, uh, because you know, I I think that the narrative as far as like young investors go is like you know, have a singular focus when you're, uh, you know, to get wealthy and then kind of diversify to, to keep your wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, so for, for an account like that, that's where I kind of more diversify and, and everything like that. But I mean, it's getting harder and harder for me to kind of go into to stocks or in the stock market because, you know, of the impending things that I see on the table with, you know, the, the incredible amount of inflation that we're seeing and, uh, you know, the Fed probably going to be raising interest rates and, and going to tank the market too. So, um, you know, we have Dan in the chat that says you don't need to study in stocks because stocks just go always go up. And that's kind of like what your point we're saying earlier about real estate, um, right? Like a lot of people don't really understand, uh, you know, breaking down stocks and, and things like that. They just, you know, invest in an ETF and then they, they forget about it. And that's kind of like their easy way to do it. Um, but I also think like, you know, Bitcoin's kind of becoming that for a lot of people, uh, especially the longer you get into it. 
Yeah, um, it's, I think it's dangerous when you have a large, a very large group of, of capital or a very large pool of capital that invests based on basically what is a meme, right? Real estate always goes up as a meme. Stocks always go up as are they're memes. They're not yeah. like those people don't understand the fundamentals. And when, when the market dislocates from fundamentals, uh, you can bet your ass that it will come, they, that it'll come crashing back down at some point, you know, you, you could, you could see a 10 year bull run based on just like hopium and a meme. Right. But eventually it all comes crashing down. Um, so I'm just very wary of like, of, of putting money where there's just like the, the capitals are flowing because of a, a, a meme narrative uh, rather than, than the fundamentals. And I very much think like for Bitcoin, the majority of core strong holders are there because they understand the fundamentals of Bitcoin. Sure, you get some, you know, when number go up, when there's euphoria, that's why you have these blow off tops, because then it becomes about the meme, right? The like, it's gone up 5x or whatever in a short period of time, and everyone piles in because they, they want to make money. And that's when you have like these, it goes to like, you know, 20k and then crashes back down to three. Yeah, right. So it's exactly. not. Um, but but yeah, I I come I I'm and I'm not like advocating hundred percent Bitcoin position. I don't think like I don't know if that's technically wise. And you know if I'm wrong, I've uh, I've obliterated my entire wealth. Um, but it, <laughs> but it's a but it's a risk I'm willing to take as well because I yeah I just am. I like I like concentration. And like you said, you know for wealth building, concentration, putting all your eggs in one basket and watching it very closely, understanding it, um, is what makes sense. And then later, once you want to protect your wealth, then you maybe spread it around and, and, you know, you can have an allocation of Bitcoin that you're happy with and have spare uh, capital to invest in other things. Um, but, but in the, uh, in the wealth building, I like, I like the concentration approach. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah. I guess uh, based on the, the, the fundamentals aspect, you know, a big fundamental uh, piece of Bitcoin is it's kind of like the privacy aspect of it. Right. So, you know, when you make a transaction, it's wallet to wallet, you have the ID, but it's not necessarily connected to your name or anything like that. And you can um, get non KYC Bitcoin um, and, a, and a strategy that's that's commonly used to get from KYC to seemingly non KYC is coin join. Um, so I don't know if you saw this, but Wasabi Wallet, uh, they've decided to blacklist certain coin join transactions. Um, because, you know, essentially that they'll be they'll be tracking um, certain blacklisted wallet addresses and won't let them to go through and do their their coin joining feature on the Wasabi wallet app. Um, mm. so how do you, uh, I guess, overall feel about this? It seems like a lot of, uh, you know, governments and there's a lot of external pressures on companies that are doing this, especially companies that are growing quickly. And it seems like a lot of these, uh, you know, Bitcoin related companies are growing at a rapid pace. Um, that they are basically are like, you know, um, you need to enact this sort of, uh, I guess, safeguard or, or analyze the people in this, this which way. Um, and, uh, you know, if you don't do this, then, um, you know, we're going to shut you down or hit you with some sort of lawsuit that will affect the growth of the base business long-term, or at least maybe short-term because, uh, you know, a big financial hit initially. So, um, what do you think about, I guess, the, the regulations being put on a lot of these Bitcoin-related companies? So um, when the f news first came out, everyone assumed that there was some sort of regulatory pressure or there, the, that Wasabi Wallet was being forced to do this um, to comply with some regulation. But that's not actually true. So today, I, 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 it was just like headline skimming, but um, it was a Bitcoin Magazine article, I think, that... that um, 
that said that Wasabi Wallet has not been forced in any way, shape, or form to enact this sort of self-censorship. Um, it's it's self-imposed and it's voluntary. And I believe what's happening is that Wasabi Wallet often gets associated and named in the press and in the media whenever there's a hack and, and funds are coin-joined. It's always like a Wasabi thing. And like you see like chain analysis and, and governments... Um, you see documents that re- that say, you know, we can unmix wasabi mixes. And so there's just been, it seems like they don't like the fact that they're being constantly associated with illicit activities, whether it's like money laundering or uh, uh, coin joining of, of hacked funds. And they want to move away from that, right? And so what they're there, it sounds like they're doing is they're just going to block uh, UTXOs from, addresses that are that are tainted and you know there's already there's already um there's already something like that in the traditional system where like i think it's like ofac or something has a list of like you know people that you're not allowed to provide financial services to and bitcoin companies are supposed to follow these like there it includes like k what people who are kyc on on crypto exchanges and and bitcoin and crypto companies are supposed to follow these and they do follow these um these sort of like blacklists and don't let these people. And and I think the key point here is that Bitcoin is an amazing protocol tool piece of software. It's almost perfect at achieving its goals, which is like, you know, censorship resistant uh, money that anyone can use in a, in a peer-to-peer fashion, right? What yeah. corrupts, what corrupts the values of Bitcoin is the things that are being built to service Bitcoin users or on top of Bitcoin, decentralized exchanges, the centralized mixing services, uh, the chain analysis people, those are all corrupted by a different set of incentives. And they have points of, of centralization where you know people or companies can be coerced to do certain things um, to, to meet sort of laws and regulations of the existing system. And that's exactly what's happening with Wasabi. Now you have some companies that when they, well, they're not, these guys weren't even forced, but there's like, I can't remember, there's an email provider that I've heard mentioned that they just basically, when the government asked them to give information about their customers, they basically just said, like, no, we're an encrypted email service. And the reason why we exist is to protect customers and people from this kind of snooping from government. So we're just going to shut down the bit. If we are not allowed to operate in this manner, we there's no point in us existing and we're going to shut down. And some people argue that's what Wasabi should have done. But they weren't even coerced into doing this. They're just doing this off their own back because they don't want to be associated with illicit activities. Um, so, yeah, uh, exactly. so it's difficult, right? I don't know how they feel. I don't know, you know, there, there's probably, well, not there's probably, there's a group of people who have dedicated substantial amounts of their energy and their life to building this business, right? And to, they haven't been coerced, but maybe they feel like, they are going to cut their business will will come into danger of not being able to exist anymore because of potential future regulations and they're just sort of preempting that and trying to uh, and trying to mitigate any any danger to the business but if it was me you know and i and i i had the 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 sort of ethos or values that i have around bitcoin right now um i wouldn't run a mixing service if i had to censor transactions so doesn't that that's the whole point of a mixing service is to like not be traceable like so that no one knows who you are and you're immediately you're saying before you even come to the mixing service i'm going to kyc you and not stop you from using it if 
you're someone who shouldn't be using mixing services or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but I, I, I'm generally against KYC and AM, you know, anti-money anti laundering KYC stuff because I it, it just it happens that it it creates so much friction in the system. And, you know, you get like, you know, now you have to like declare transactions over $600. You get the, all these stupid rules and regulations that don't do anything to actually stop money laundering. Uh, so I, I may, I, and also the dangers of KYC and AML, like, you know, when your data gets leaked and, you know, if you hold your own keys at home and somebody knows your address, that's like, that was really life fucking. Like if you own a house, you're happy with your family there. And then it gets leaked that like, you know, you bought a ledger. And now you could be subject to somebody coming and knocking on your door and trying to like hold your family hostage with a gun and shit. Like that's fu that's like real fucked up shit. And so I, I just don't see how the the, the benefits outweigh of, of anti money laundering and KYC uh, regulations. How the benefits outweigh the costs. And the reason why governments push these regulations is because they don't bear the cost of enforcing them. They palm off the enforcement to private companies, right? You know, yeah. air, like, like it happens with COVID, like airlines have to enforce COVID regulations because otherwise governments find them for not enforcing them, but it's the government who's imposing them. So how about you spend the money enforcing the rules you put in? Guess what? They wouldn't put in as many rules and regulations in that case because they'd realize what a pain in the butt it is to actually make them happen. And you would just oh, give 100%. up and be like, no problem, no point. But when you pass, when you palm it off and you say, hey, you uh, little bitch, you go do it. You go do the dirty work for me, and you spend your own private company's money hiring people, training people, and to enforce these rules. And it's easy, right? You just you're just like pointing the finger. You go do that. Doesn't cost me yeah. anything. Exactly, hundred oh, percent. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it definitely seems like more and more of these. Uh, yeah, the governments are just imposing it on on companies. But I appreciate the cl clarification that you know they weren't necessarily forced. They kind of did it preemptively. Um, yeah. And so we 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 kind of are seeing a lot of Bitcoiners, you know, flock to other, other services. And I think that'll just kind of continue to happen. And then, you know, a company like Wasabi that decides to do this um, is just going to, you know, in the end fail. Cause like, you know, if they're promoting coin joining, but only certain people can do it or, or whatever, you know, Bitcoiners kind of ha have that same ethos and they're going to go to a company that uh, is going to keep, you know, keep, keep it all free and open for everybody. Um, and just uh, be a service like that. And then once that service gets shut down, I mean, Bitcoin is a strong community. I wouldn't be surprised if another service just pops up immediately after. Well, someone's already forked Wasabi Wallet, which is open source code, has already been forked and turned into something called Sake Wallet by anonymous people. Well, they're obviously anonymous, but who knows? Yeah, who knows who they are and whatever. But they're not going to be uh, censoring um but I don't understand enough of like I haven't coin joined yet because I don't understand enough of how it works, like how easy it is to unmix, uh, you know. And if I don't understand it, I might do something actually that like undoes the um, the sort of like the 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 thing that gives you anon anonymity. You have to like manage your UTXOs and all this shit that I just haven't really gotten into understanding fully yet. And I haven't seen like I haven't just you know, a good resource to learn about it hasn't landed on my lap and I haven't proactively gone out to search for it and spend time doing it. Um, so I haven't, I haven't coin joined yet and I can't like opine too much on whether Wasabi is better than Samurai or whatever. Uh, but, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I've, uh, I've looked into it a little bit um, because some of the Bitcoin that I own was, was KYC. So um, 
I, uh, some of the good resources that I've seen are, are BTC sessions. Uh, ben does a great job. He has like a few videos. I think, uh, in total they're, they're like maybe three hours of videos where he kind of goes and, and gives a good deep dive explanation on it. Um, and kind of like how to do it and everything like that as well. Um, so oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> playing with the boy. He, he's, uh, he's not happy about the stream keep going on, but, uh, we got, I got one more story that's kind of along the same lines of that, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit along the lines of regulation, um, that the UK, they're warning Bitcoin ATM owners uh, that they must be registered with the FCA um, and in order to be put to use. And currently the FCA has stated that not a single Bitcoin ATM has been registered. Um, and so they're all considered illegal to use in the UK. Um, and so... Um, yeah, it's just kind of along the same lines of like what we're talking about. I feel like, you know, a lot of them, you know, they're, they're going to find ways to, they're either going to register with the FCA or or they're going to comply or or figure out some other, some other way to, to get around it. But, um, I guess this question is like a two-parter. We kind of had a discussion like this, um, on one of our last spaces. I can't remember which one it was, but, um, one, have you ever used a Bitcoin ATM? Um, and two, like, um, I guess, what do you think about this, the regulations being put on it? Um, no, so no, I've never used one and I actually didn't even like understand, you know, when I first got into Bitcoin, you know, happily KYC at like 50 bajillion exchanges thinking like, oh, I want to try them all. And I was like, kind of like, into, and I realized like, that's the ter- most terrible thing to have ever done is to like KYC myself at multiple exchanges. Cause now my data if it, you know, I have like 10 X, the chances of data getting leaked. Um, even if I don't, you know, I'm not holding uh, significant amounts of Bitcoin on any exchange. So, but um, yeah, the, the, the ATM thing, I, I, they came to sort of into my realm of, you know, I came to, to know that they existed when people, when I joined Bitcoin Twitter and people were talking about how they were good ways of acquiring uh, non KYC Bitcoin in some cases, uh, but it turns out like now a lot of them, you have to like, you know, put it, take a selfie or you have to put in a phone number. You can use a burner and whatever. I think they're largely rather irrelevant. I, I'm sure they exist because like, you know, there's pockets of like places where you can make some money. Um, but it seems like it would be a thing where, you know, you're hoping a passerby sees it and is like, oh, let me see. You. I'm going to buy 50 pounds of Bitcoin. And like, how many people are actually going to do that? So it feels like a vending machine business kind of thing. Like it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be great. And so, um, it it'll be interesting to see if the if the whatever regulations, uh, that are in play that are being put in place or or you know that are now being enforced because they were obviously already in place that just weren't being enforced and weren't being followed. If if following these regulations make the um the operation of the exist or the existence of Bitcoin ATMs even worth it. It might be like this regulations like, oh, they, you know, it's not worth it. If we taking the ATM machines away and then going through like whatever form filling exercise and approval, it's just not worth how much, you know, money we make from the ATMs and maybe they just won't come back in the UK. I don't know. I don't really know. Um, but you'd imagine if you're selling Bitcoin, uh, there's better ways to do it online rather than with a physical machine. Yeah, for, for sure. I think we actually had a Dan Wedge, who I do the chips are down with. Uh, he uh, said he used a Bitcoin ATM and essentially they had to uh, enter in a wallet and they had to make sure that he downloaded a certain app. And so it was all KYC anyway. Um, 
yeah, which I thought would be kind of like a benefit, right? Like you get a private key, like you put in 50 bucks and then it's like completely non-KYC. But uh, I guess like, you know, after he explained that, it's, it's just kind of not the case. And and it doesn't really seem feasible to me either. Um, it just, you know, there's so many easier ways to, to purchase and, and get Bitcoin. So I don't know why. I don't, I don't think it's going to be very widespread. And I don't think like this is a big deal for adoption as far as it goes in in the uk but um you know it's just another instance of another country or government trying to to put some regulations on it yeah i mean if it was non-kyc then uh you're you know sure for those people that are looking to get non-kyc sets which is let's be honest a minority of people then it would then it makes sense that they might exist in a few places but otherwise if they if you're still if you're being kyc'd and you have to like download a specific app it just sounds like more of a hassle than just using a kyc exchange yeah, exactly. It's happened, Canadian Bitcoiners. Don't you know? Yeah. So the Canadian Bitcoiner said, "How long before somebody steals a Bitcoin ATM and thinks it's stuff with Bitcoin?" So it's obviously it's definitely happened. I wouldn't be surprised yep. at all. But yeah, the only experience I've had is like there. I've seen them in like smoke shops or something. Mm. So I mean, just kind of like weird, sketchier places too. So it's never, it's never like more widespread where you're seeing them in like a, I don't know, a grocery store or something like that, where you'd see a normal like ATM or, or something, but no, um, they, they seem to be, they seem to be a legacy thing. So I think they were, you know, before when it was very hard to acquire Bitcoin, like there weren't many exchanges and you, there's no fiat basically on ramps Then the physical Bitcoin ATM was a way to get people to, to buy Bitcoin or as it was a convenient way uh, for people to buy Bitcoin, but now there's obviously a, a myriad of better ways, uh, whether it's KYC or non-KYC. And so the Bitcoin ATM is kind of just like a legacy thing left over from a from a time before. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, my dog was uh, going off with his chew toy. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think this is a good place to wrap it. Unless you got any final thoughts for me. No, I think we're good. We're seeing a little. Uh, this is how we're how starved of a pump we are. That it's like we're up one point eight percent for the day at forty one point four, forty one point five, and uh, that seems like a lot. So yeah, I, mean, um, I think on the day for at least in the U.S., it's up like about two point three percent. So yeah. I don't know. It seems, it seems like we got this barrier here at like uh, thirty seven to like forty three or so. Uh, 44 but that we haven't really been able to break through and uh before it was the 58k gang we couldn't break through and uh maybe we should have treated them a little better uh at that time because uh, i think i tweeted have you seen the chart i think i retweeted it or i tweeted the chart but it's like it shows the last maybe from 2020 until now and you can see the bear market of last summer the chop we've had now versus the bear market is like infinitely longer so i think we're like pretty we're peak bearishness we're a peak bearishness at the moment um in terms of like euphoria and so to me what that screams like i i I was so stupid in the last big bull run i was like thinking it's going to go to 100k and i was like buying shitloads of bitcoin at 65 and 68 and 63 and 62 right and and those purchases like now hurt because i'm like damn it i could have gotten so much more so much more bitcoin so I, i like the thing i would leave people with is like dca but if you're going to smash by, do it when you're the most scared and the most bearish, right? Just take that as a signal of like, fuck, I'm really scared right now. I'm really worried. I think Bitcoin might even not make it. That's when you should be buying, right? And when you're super bullish and it's like going to 100K, either DCA 
or and but don't smash by is what I would say. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think you know, for for me, the more frequently I buy, the less I look at the price action. Um, yeah. So you know, you just kind of get that that priced in. Um, you know, I think uh, not financial advice, of course, but I think uh, DCAing or HCAing or whatever uh, kind of medium you want to use that you know, it, there's a benefit to it for sure. And I think, um, you know, just if you believe in Bitcoin and, and it's kind of like, you know, uh, how early investors get in with, uh, with stocks or something like that, you know, if you believe in a company, you believe in Bitcoin as the asset, you believe in Bitcoin, the technology, you believe in everything that Bitcoin stands for, then, you know, the price of it shouldn't matter um, as much because you believe like in the long term that, that it's going to go up. Right. So, um, and I think, you know, as far as like, as far as Bitcoin goes, you know, the longer your time horizon, the easier it is to, uh, the easier it is to, to just, you know, not really worry about too much of these price swings. You know, when you see a big dip or anything like that, you see it more as an opportunity opposed to, um, you know, an, a big negative and, and Bitcoin dying and, and the world is ending and things like that. So, um, yeah, I agree with your points there. And uh, I think that's a good way to wrap it. Um, so I am Brandon from Green Candle Investments. We're, we're doing this today um, at, at noon, and we're actually going to do a uh, Twitter Spaces at 4.30 uh, p.m. Eastern time. So if you want to join us for that rip as well, I don't know if you're going to be able to make it to that, Gandalf, but, uh, you know, of course, you're always welcome and invited. Um, but, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Green Candle IT. You can see everything else that I got going on. And follow my guest at BTC Gandalf. Uh, there's been a lot of fake accounts out there, so... Uh, make sure you follow the right one. Uh, we're, we're, we're usually tweeting at them. So, um, yeah, you got anything else? Any last uh, wrap-up words? Just thank you very much for having me. I think you guys are doing great work. They're pumping out the newsletters, pumping out the content. It's I know how much work it is, and I, I really, really respect it. Um, and I appreciate uh, you wanting to hear from me. And uh, just give a shout-out to everyone in the audience. Dan, Joey, Canadian Bitcoiners Podcast, everyone else that listened, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being so amazing. I love you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. The chat was amazing. All right, we're going to end this broadcast. Thank you so much. And if you are, uh, just catch us on Twitter. All right, yeah. all right, I'm out. Cheers, dude.